but we're going to, I'm going to do like a real quick overview because I know LaVon wasn't here. A couple people weren't here. They were out at lunch working and, you know, doing all kind of chores and stuff. So Mark is actually the first book, according to most theologians, that was the first gospel written and Matthew and Luke and all these things were based off of what Mark wrote. Uh, the book of Mark was written about 30 years after Jesus died and resurrected. If you guys remember, Mark's real name is John, also known as John Mark. His mother's name was Mary. John being a Hebrew name and Mark being a Greek name. So he had the best of both worlds. And John Mark was actually a disciple of Peter. Okay. John Mark was also the cousin of Barnabas. So you got John Mark and you got Barnabas. And then in Acts, you had Paul. Paul and Barnabas were set apart to do mission work. When they went and did mission work because Mark and Barnabas were cousins, Barnabas told Paul, why don't we take Mark with us so he can help us? Well, then during one of their missionary journeys, Mark actually abandoned Barnabas and Paul. And then when you get in like Acts 15-ish, Paul and Barnabas have an argument about Mark. And they actually split up. So Barnabas went with his family. He, he took his cousin's side. And then Paul just grabbed somebody else and they continued on with the mission. But then in Colossians and a couple of other books, you read where Paul and Barnabas and Mark all came back together. They reconciled their differences and they continued on in the mission field. Okay. <clears throat> so Mark's the shortest book of the Gospels is 16 chapters, where John is like 24, 25. And the book of Mark is written to a specific people. It's written mainly to the Gentiles. Because like I said before, you can look at Matthew, the very first chapter, it's the genealogy of Jesus, Jewish culture, genealogy is important. There's a lot of prophecies that they quote from the Old Testament. In the book of Mark, you get none of that. There's about three prophecies that he mentions, and that's it. Um, and so as we go through Mark, it's going to be long. I don't know how far we'll get tonight, but we're going to do the whole book of Mark. All right, Tucker's doing the whole book of John. Pastor Terry's doing the whole book of Acts, even though we just barely got out of chapter one on week five. You know what I mean? <laughs> we went to eight, we went back to two, then we got to nine today. Now we're back at one. So, I mean, maybe we'll finish Acts, maybe we won't. But either way, it's, it's always good to go back and, and, and look. So <clears throat> when we go through Mark, there's going to be some things that, that we're going to look at. We're going to spend more time in certain places than others. But Mark is actually a good book for people who don't know much about the Bible or don't know much about Jesus in general. You know, Austin said he didn't really know a whole lot, which is great. So we don't want to throw him right into Matthew and let him read genealogies of Jesus. And Jesus came from this one and that one because he's, he's not going to understand it where Mark is written in a way that anybody can understand it without all the extra Jewish culture and all that. It's pretty much, this is Jesus. This is what Jesus did. 
Then Jesus dies. Then Jesus resurrects. And that's the end of the book. So you're left with an option at the end of reading Mark. Either you choose to believe or you don't believe. And Mark's good for the first time reader that's never really got into the Bible. So that's kind of why I wanted to go over Mark. Mark's a little bit different. Mark actually emphasizes a lot of female characters where the other Bibles don't or the other books of the Bible don't. And we'll we'll see that as we go through. So I want to just we're going to read through chapter one. We're going to hit some points. Then we're going to go into chapter two. If, if time allows us, we're going to we're going to I'm not going to move too fast, but I want to move fairly quick through it. All right. So Mark chapter one. Verse one, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, just as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, behold, I am sending my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of the one shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight his paths. John was there in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all of the Judean region and all of the inhabitants of Jerusalem went out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River confessing their sins. And John was dressed in camel's hair and a belt made of leather around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching saying, one who is more powerful than I is coming after me of whom I'm not worthy to bend down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Verse nine. And it happened that in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. And immediately as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens being split apart and the spirit descending like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. Twelve. And immediately the spirit drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. And after John had been taken into custody, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the gospel. 16. And as he was passing by along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a nut into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishermen of people. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee and the brother John. And they were in a boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and went away after him. And they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogues. And they were amazed at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like the scribes. And so then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Leave us alone, Jesus of Nazarene. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And after convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, the unclean spirit came out of him, and they were all amazed, so that they began to discuss with one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He even commands the unclean spirits and they obey him. And the report about him then went out everywhere in the whole surrounding region of Galilee. And so then he departed from the synagogue and came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying down suffering with a fever. 
And at once they told him about her, and he came and he raised up by the hand, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. 32. Now when it was evening, when the sun had set, they began bringing him all those who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole town was gathered together at the door and healed many, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and expelled many demons, and he did not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And getting up early in the morning while it was very dark, he departed and went into a deserted place, and there he was praying. And Simon and those who were with him searched diligently for him. And they found him, and they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go elsewhere into the neighboring rural town so I can preach there also, because I have came out for this very reason. And he went into Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and expelling demons. And a leper came to him, entreating him and kneeling down, saying to him, If you are willing, you are able to make me clean. And becoming angry, he stretched out his hand and touched him. And he said to him, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately the leprosy went away from him and he was made clean. And warning him sternly, he sent him away at once. And he said to him, see to it that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourselves to the priest and bring for your cleansing the things which Moses commanded for a testimony to them. But he went out and he began proclaiming it freely and to spread abroad the account so that he was no longer able to enter publicly into a town. But he was staying outside in deserted places, and they were coming to him from all directions. So there's a lot going on here. If you start, if we start right at the beginning, I love the way Mark does this. He doesn't, he doesn't go through a whole lot. He pretty much jumps right into it. In the, be, the verse one, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. Point blank. Cut and dry. The whole book is about the gospel of Jesus. But we know it as the gospel according to Mark. But Mark says it's really according to Jesus. Right. So right off the bat, he just jumps in. He gives you one little prophecy. And really, the prophecy was about Jesus. But mainly it was about John, because right after that, he goes in and talks about John the baptizer and what John came for and and all these things. And John was a crazy looking guy, right? He wore a, a camel's skin vest and a leather belt and he ate crickets and wild honey and pretty much a, a, a sign of poverty. Most of your prophets lived in, you know, rural areas. They didn't stay in the cities. And so he came in that way, which was pretty pretty humbling because there's a man that dresses as though he's poor and he's in the river and everybody was coming to him to get baptized, right? Everybody's going to the homeless guy to get baptized in the water. So that tells me that, that the people in that time were actually concerned with what God was about to do. You know, it wasn't a king that was baptizing people. It wasn't some CEO that was baptizing people. It was a guy in a camel skin coat with a leather belt that was saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Baptize them. And then they go on about their business. Now, we know that they hadn't quite yet been forgiven of their sins because their sins were moved forward. 
right? So their act of faith to believe in the kingdom and to be baptized was enough for their sins to be pushed forward and wait for Jesus to come, okay? So they won't save yet, but their sins were moved forward and, and repentance was going to come and forgiveness and all these things. So <clears throat> you go straight from John the Baptist to Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. And all of these things had to be done so that all of the prophecies in the Old Testament would be fulfilled, right? So John really didn't want to do this. He, he wanted to be baptized by Jesus, but Jesus said, no, we have to do it this way so all the scripture is fulfilled. All the stuff in the Old Testament is fulfilled. And then he goes from that, and Jesus calls his first disciples. He's at the Sea of Galilee, and he saw Simon and Andrew. Simon is Peter. Now, we got to remember that Mark sat under Peter as a disciple. So in the first chapter, within the first 20 verses, he mentions Peter specifically. And that might not seem like a big deal, but as we move forward in the book of Mark, you'll see there's other things that happen. Actually, right here in, in the very first one. Um, so Simon and Andrew were fishermen. And immediately they dropped everything they had and they followed Jesus and they went into Capernaum. Now, Jesus's ministry pretty much started at the baptism. At that point in time, once that happened and the spirit descended, that's when the ministry happens. Okay, so Jesus had to do everything as a man led by the Holy Spirit. So that way I know. I can do everything as a man led by the Holy Spirit, what Jesus did. Now, if he did it as God, 100% God, that's fine. I still respect him, but I can't do that because I'm not God. But because he did it as 100% man led by the Holy Spirit, he has to be my model. Because if he did it, then I can do it. He even says greater things you can do than I'll do. And so that's where, where the Holy Spirit actually takes a major role in our life and in our walk. So the man at Capernaum was healed, and then a leper was healed, a paralytic was healed, Levi starts following Jesus. There's a, there's a difference in this book than it is in Matthew or Mark, I mean, uh, Luke or John. He says, this is Jesus. This is John the Baptist. Let's start talking about healings and miracles and all these things that Jesus really did. The reason why he came. He doesn't go into a whole bunch of bunch of stuff that's not going to change anybody. You know, in the law, it's not going to change you. You know, in Jewish culture, it's not going to change you. So he establishes Jesus in the first verse. Talks a little bit about the baptism, but then he goes into all the miraculous things that Jesus starts doing. Right. Now, when we get into chapter two and on, there's some things that that happen. You know, he starts talking about parables and making comparisons. You got to think Jesus, like we talked about earlier, from day one, they were out to kill him. It wasn't like he just had an average life. I mean, from the day he was born and the wise men came to 
to bring him gifts. Herod was trying to kill him. He wasn't even in ministry yet. He, he didn't know anything. The day he was born, he was already sentenced to a life that was going to be pretty aggressive towards him. Okay. Chapter two. And when he entered again into Capernaum after some days, it became known that he was at home. And many had gathered so that there was no longer room, not even at the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came bringing to him the paralytic carried by four men. And when they were not able to bring him to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof where he was at. And after digging through, they lowered the stretcher on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, child, your sins are forgiven. Now, this is a great story. And we're going to hang out right here for a minute. So we've got Jesus, John the Baptist, baptism, a couple of miracles. And then when we get into chapter two, Jesus is in a place in his home where there's so many people that a lot of the people couldn't even get to him. And it doesn't say that he was performing miracles or signs and wonders. It said that he was teaching the word to them. So the word that he was bringing was so strong that people came from all over and flooded his house so that a lot of people couldn't even get in to hear what he was saying. But what's amazing is that there was four guys and they had a friend who was paralyzed and they believed that Jesus was who he said he was based on the account of he, he healed this person and he healed that person. So these four guys make their minds up that they're going to take this paralyzed friend they have, each one grab a corner, we're going to Jesus's house. They get all the way to Jesus's house and realize that the room is so full they can't get to him. So what do they do? Do they just stop and say, well, you know, it's a lost cause? No, they go on the roof and start tearing the roof off. Just to get their friend to where they could just get him down to where Jesus was. And a lot of times we want 20, 30, 40 different friends. We want 500 followers on Facebook, a thousand chicks on Instagram. We want all the snaps. We want all this stuff. But in reality, I just need four friends that's willing to get me to Jesus. I don't need 20, 30, 40 people. I need four Faith-filled friends that are willing to do whatever it takes to get me to where I need to be. Just four. And what does he say? He, he didn't say it was the faith of the paralyzed man that healed him. It was the faith of the four friends of the paralyzed man that healed the paralyzed man. Your faith could make me well. Not my faith. My faith can do it too, but your faith could actually make me well. That's the miraculous part. Yeah, Jesus Jesus healed him. Everything was good. The paralyzed man, his legs probably straightened up. He squared up. He walked out. But in reality, the biggest part of this is knowing that if I just have four people full of faith in Jesus, that I can get some things done in my life, even if I don't believe. 
But like I said, a lot of times, you know, we want 500 friends on Facebook. We want this. We want that. I don't want none of that. I just need a couple of people who are solid in their life, that are solid in their foundation, that know the Lord, that are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're willing to go to any extreme to get me to where I need to be. Because a lot of my friends ain't really friends. They're acquaintances. And that's just that's just the reality of the whole situation. There's only one person that's wrote me a letter since I've been here, and that was my wife, and that's one of my real friends. All them other ones, they ain't sent me stamps. They ain't called me. They ain't checked on me. They ain't, ain't none of that really even happened. So at least I got one on my side right now. Amen? Amen. And she's the one that drove me here. So even when I was paralyzed in my mess, she had enough faith to get me to a place where she knew I would get back straight. <laughs> and when Jesus saw their faith, verse 5, he said to the paralytic, child, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were there and they were reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who is able to forgive sins except God alone? And immediately Jesus, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they were reasoning like this within themselves, said to them, why are you considering these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your stretcher and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher and go home. And the man got up and immediately picked up his stretcher and he went out in front of all of them so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Now, this is where religion actually comes in contact with compassion and love. Because they weren't really worried about the paralyzed man. They didn't care about his state of being, that he couldn't walk, he couldn't provide for his family, he couldn't do this, he couldn't do that. All they were concerned about was, this guy's blaspheming. Who is he to say that he can forgive sins? Or who is he to say that he can heal this man? And Jesus, perceiving in his spirit what they were actually arguing about amongst themselves, he said, what's easier to say? Is it easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or is it easier for me to say pick up your mat and walk? Either way, I'm going to show you that I'm God, that I am the son of man, that I do have authority. And right now in front of you and your whole religious cult, get up and go home. And the man got up and everybody was amazed. Religion does not want you to be free. Religion would rather you be paralyzed, beat down, Oh, woe is me. But God did not come to make you live in a state of just being. He would rather you be free in him, which is what Mark's trying to get at right here. Love is really what it's about. Jesus didn't heal the man because he felt sorry for him. He healed him because he loved him. He healed him because he had compassion for him. It wasn't because he was trying to follow rules and regulations and all this. It was because he genuinely came to set the captive free. And when he did that, we have never seen anything like this. And all of them were amazed and glorified God. The love of God in an individual is what will make other people glorify God. The love that I have for the Lord and the love that I that I share with everybody else based on the way he loves me and I love him is what's going to make people glorify God. It's not going to be me telling you, oh, well, you don't need to smoke. 
You shouldn't do that. You know you don't need to do that. That's not what's going to help you. What's going to help you is me showing the love of God to you. Because we all are searching for something. We all have an empty space in our life. We all have a void in our being. And that void can only be filled by one thing that we honestly desire, and that's love. The only reason we are even here is because there's something in us that says, I need something else. I can't do this by myself. I don't know what I'm searching for. I don't know why I'm walking through this darkness. But the reality is, it's love because I've never been genuinely loved. And rather than be genuinely loved, I would rather know love. Your parents don't love you the way that they should. They can't love you unless they love God. Your girlfriend can't love you the way that she wants to love you unless she loves God. You can't love your kids unless you love God. There's a lot of things that happen to us. And over time, we just suppress all these feelings and all these emotions because we don't want anybody to get close because that false idea of love that I used to have actually came in and damaged me. So now I put these bricks up and you ain't coming in no more. But When God comes in and he breaks through all of those barriers and he says, you know what? I am love. I genuinely love you. Even when you're paralyzed and you're beat down, I will heal you. Not because you followed rules and you were good, but because I love you. That's when all these things start happening for you. And that's really what the gospel is about. It ain't about rules and regulations. Yeah, in the old school, that's what they did. It was all about rules and regulations. But now Jesus is on the scene and he's he's trying to show them everything that you think you're doing right. The kingdom is opposite of that. Everything in the kingdom is opposite. That's why he said your yoke is heavy. Your demands are heavy. But take on my yoke. It's light. It's easy. Try to follow 663 laws according to the Old Testament when I'll just give you two. Love God with all your being and love your neighbor as yourself. 663 is not even close. I'd rather have the two. Maybe I can at least get one out of the two right today. Right? And that's all Jesus was trying to do. But even in him doing that, there was always conflict. There was always a wall that he was up against. In verse six, now some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? They didn't care about the paralyzed man at all. They they did not care about him one bit. Verse 13, and when he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he began to teach them, And as he was passing by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and and he was with him. And he said to him, follow me. And he stood up and he followed him. And it happened that he was dining in the house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they were following him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, began to say to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are healthy do not need or do not have need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come for the righteous, but for the sinners. And John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting and they said to him, 
Why did the disciples of John and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, the bridegroom's attendants are not able to fast while the bridegroom is with them, are they? As long as a time as they have the bridegroom with them, they are not able to fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will fast in that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunken cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it and the new from the old and the tear becomes worse. And no one puts new wine into an old wineskin. Otherwise, the wine will burst the wineskin and the wine will destroy and the wineskin too, but the new wine is put in a new wineskin. So right here, we got a lot that Jesus is, is talking about. He's talking about fasting because the Pharisees were, they're always trying to trip him up. They're always trying to trap him in what he was saying. They were always looking at him and watching him. Well, you know, John the, the Baptist and his disciples, they fast and the you know, the Pharisees fast. And so they were trying to compare these two people to Jesus. And they were hoping that they could just catch him in a way that they could just go ahead and kill him or sentence him and, and pull him out of society. But Jesus being Jesus was brilliant. He always had the right things to say at the right time. And I'd imagine he never really answered real quick. He thought about what he was going to say before he said it. Because what everything he said mattered. And he knew that everything that I say is going to promote life. And that's that's what I have to do. I have to sit back and I have to think about the way to approach this so that even though I'm addressing him, everybody else around this particular person will understand what I'm trying to say. And so he says. The bridegroom and the bride. They can't fast of him if I'm here, but if, when I go away, they can fast. And he says, nobody puts a new piece of cloth on an old garment because a new piece of cloth is unshrunk, right? It hasn't been shrunk. It hasn't washed. It hasn't been beaten and worked in. And so if you put a piece of a, a new patch on some old denim jeans and you sew it up the first time you wash it, it's going to tear away and it's going to be worse than it was originally. And the same with the wineskin, the way they used to make wineskins, they would take, you know, goat skin or whatever. And they would make these these elaborate. Almost like a canteen. But when you put juice in it. After a certain period of time, fermentation happens and it expands. So you can't put new wine into an old wine skin, right? Because the old wine skin has already been stretched to the maximum capacity that's going to be able to, to go to. And when you put new wine in and the fermentation starts, you do that and it expands and then the new wine is spilled out and the skin is torn open. So you lose the new wine and the old wine skin is busted. We can get into a whole thing about that, but I'm just going to move on. That's a good thing for you to read in your in your study Bible. And it happened, verse 23, and it happened that he was going through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples began to make their way, plucking off the heads of grain. And the Pharisees began to say to him, behold, why are they doing what is not permitted on the Sabbath? 
And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was with those who were have you never read what David did when he had need and those who were with him were hungry? How he entered in the house of God in the time of Aba Thor, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presentation, which it is not permitted to eat except for the priests, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was established for people and not people for the Sabbath. So then, the Son of Man is the Lord, even of the Sabbath. So in this particular portion of the scripture, it's actually referring to 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. That's a good read. You can go back and you can read it. But when King David, or he wasn't king yet, but when David was fleeing from King Saul, he persuaded a priest to give him the consecrated bread by claiming that he was on his way to a secret meeting with the others of the king. It was not lawful for anybody to eat this bread or the bread of the presence. There was a lot of things that you weren't supposed to do when it came to being in the temple and making sacrifice. You know, you had the high priest and the high priest was the mediator. He was the middleman between you and the Holy of Holies, so on and so forth. And you read Hebrews. Now we have a new high priest that intercedes for us. We don't have to go do all that stuff anymore. But Jesus is telling them something out of the Old Testament that all of them knew. All of the Pharisees and all of the scribes knew this. They knew the story. I mean, think about it. By the time they were 12, they memorized the first five books of the Bible. The first five. I struggle to remember a chapter. OK. So they knew this story and they knew. I mean, they they borderline worship David. Because David was the hero of their time and, and all these things. And so he's using something that they already know. And he says, don't you remember the time that David went in and, and he took the, the bread of the presence? He ate it and he gave it to, the, to his disciples and his people. He said, the Sabbath, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And they didn't like that. Because... The Sabbath for them was like, you know, Sundays for us after church. Take a nap, hang out. But it was so much more then. You couldn't fix dinner. You couldn't fix lunch. You had to fix everything the day before. You couldn't do this. You couldn't do that. Everything had to be ready. So you literally did nothing. And so when he says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, that, that like rubs people the wrong way. First Samuel 21, one through six. Now David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest and Ahimelech came trembling to meet David. And he said to him, why are you alone? And there are no men with you. So David said to Abimelech, Ahimelech the priest, the king charged me with a matter and said to me, no one must know anything about this matter on which I'm sending you, with which I have charged you and the servants so I have arranged to meet with my servants at a certain place. Now then. Nobody must know. Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David and said, there is no ordinary bread here at hand. There is only holy bread. 
But only if the young men have kept themselves from women shall I give you the bread. And David answered the priest and said to him, Indeed, women were held back from us, as it has been when I've gone out before, and the things of the young men are holy when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will the things be holy? And so David goes to the priest and he pretty much schemes some food off of the high priest because he was hungry. I'm, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the Old Testament. Like I said, we, we read the Old Testament, but we read it looking for Jesus. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's, he's showing them like, I'm doing the same thing now that I was doing then, but you just missed it back then. You didn't really understand back then what I was doing. And now you're really struggling because I'm doing it now again. And the Jesus came to wreck everything that religion had to offer. Everything that religion had to offer. He came to just, just knock it right out of the way, which is phenomenal because a lot of times we get hung up. I know when I first came here, I was, I was hung up in religion. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. And I had never been taught the doctrine of grace or the doctrine of faith, or I really didn't even know that God loved me. You know, people say that all the time. Well, Jesus loves you. But as soon as they say Jesus loves you, well, you ought not be smoking. But then again, they at home watching pornography or they're at home doing this. They, they like to point your 5% out and not worry about the 95% good, even though you know, they do some of the similar things that all of us do. And for me, I really struggled with the religion thing. For for almost a month while I was here, I was I was that guy, like judgmental, arrogant, you know, uh, look at what he's doing. Look at what he's doing. I, I, the Bible don't. I was confused. Because one side of me wanted to believe that God loved me, but the other side of me wanted to do works. I wanted to work for favor. I wanted to work for grace and I wanted to work for all these things. And that was just ignorant. There's nothing that I have to offer God that, that he's willing to accept other than my worship. I got nothing to offer him. He has everything to offer me. And so when religion was in the way of what I had going on, it was hard for me to really receive love. And so I had to really work it out. That's why I spent a lot of time in Galatians. Galatians is all about works versus grace. And a lot of us still get wrapped up in that. I'm not saying I'm 100% free from works because I still I, I still got, I mean, it's instilled in you when you're little. Well, if I do this, I'll get this. If I'm good, I'll get this. If I go to work, I'll get a check. If I, I mean, all these things are really works. And so I got to address the thing spiritually that that I'm maybe I'm work. I'm trying to work for something. Uh, me, and, me and Rob were talking on the porch earlier today. You know, it's everything in you wants to to do more. When you start doing this, you got a sense that there's got to be more than me coming in here and sitting in this chair. There's got to be more than me going to church and, and sitting with all these people. There's got to be more than me just praying and doing devotion. Something inside you says that there's more to do, but you can get so wrapped up in that, that you're no longer co-laboring with God. You're trying to work for God. Well, I'm going to do this for the Lord today. The Lord don't need you to do nothing. He needs you to chill. 
He needs you to rest. He needs you to let him lead you. But a lot of times I try to lead him. And when I start leading him, I'm fighting. I'm really, I'm fighting against him. I can't move God. He can move me, though. And, and religion is always a battle. Because, like I said, you always want to do more. You always want to want to try to, you know, I want to be better today than I was yesterday. And that's, honestly, we say that, but that's a, a, a form of spiritual religion. I got to be better today than I was yesterday. The fact is that I, if I'm no better today than I was yesterday, he still loves me. He still loves me. Regardless of what I do, whether I help this brother out or I help this one out or I fall or whatever, any of that really doesn't matter because it's all based on faith. Your faith is what matters. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, how many of you have the lawnmower mans came and gave you the mustard seed? You realize that's not the seed, right? That's not the seed. When you bust that mustard seed open, and there's five million little black things in there, that's the seed. Not the, not the shell that you have that holds the seed. Right. But when you squeeze it and mash it and that little dust comes out, that's the seed. That's, that's the real seed. Jesus said, unless a seed falls to the earth and die, it can't bear fruit. The shell of the man has to die in order for the spirit man to actually bear fruit or bear fruit. And it's it, the, all the principles are the same. It's all about faith and it's all about love. And if, and I fought that for so long because I was I, I was taught something different. Well, I got to do this and I got to do that and I got to do this, but I don't have to. I choose to do those things because in reality, smoking is going to kill me. That's just the truth. If you go sleep with a woman you never met with, you might end up at the health department. Right. It's just good rules. God put the rules in place to help you out, to benefit you. But that don't mean that one way or the other it's going to keep you from him, because Roman eight tells us that neither life nor death nor angel nor demon nor nothing created that was created can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you. You honestly can't separate yourself because you ain't that good. You might you might stray a little bit. But if you've been trained in the way of righteousness, once you try to get back into the shadows, you're always going to get drawn back to the light because you, you you've tasted and you've seen that the Lord is good. You've, you've tasted if you've really tasted you, you, you can't hang out there for so long before you come back. We'll finish with this one, the, the man with the withered hand. <laughs> Chapter three. And he entered in the synagogue again, and a man who had a withered hand was there. And they were watching him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath in order that they could accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, come into the middle. And he said to them. The Pharisees. Is it permitted on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they were all silent. 
and looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out immediately with the Herodians and began to conspire against him with regard to how they could destroy him. Now it's the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do labor. You ain't supposed to, to pick the remote up or, or nothing. You ain't, you're supposed to all day. They, cons- they were trying to conspire against Jesus on how they could destroy him. But in reality, it doesn't say that Jesus even laid a hand on him. It doesn't say that he touched the man. It doesn't say that he, you know, grabbed his fingers and pulled him and stretched him. No, he sent a word forth. He sent a rhema word forth and said, stretch out your hand. And that's all he did. He just said some words. And immediately the man's hand was healed. They were just talking, though. So why is it good for them that they can talk and say some things? But when when Jesus says some things and a man's healed, they got problems with it. Because the Pharisees hated, absolutely hated anything that would counteract their their lifestyle. They made money off the law. They made money off of people. They they sold doves in the in the church and goats and all this. They made money. And when you start messing with somebody's money, that that used to be my thing. You you mess whatever you want to, but except two things: my my family and my kids. Or my family and my money. You mess with those two, we really got problems. But now I'm to a place where the money ain't that that big of a deal. But if you, I mean, if you mess with my family, we still got problems, you know. And Jesus comes on the scene and he just back to back to back healing people left and right. He's not hitting them with the law. He's not doing a whole lot of, I mean, he's just. Miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. How many of you have had a miracle in your life? I have. I've had a ton of them. And a lot of times I forget some of them. And when I when I started thinking about, you know, well, he did this for me then and he did that for me then, it actually builds my faith back up. It helps me get back to where I need to be. Because we we our minds I mean, you got so much stuff coming at you in a day's time. It's crazy. So much stuff. And we have a tendency to forget, but we have to bring some things back to remembrance every day to help us move forward. So I'm going to probably just just close right there because we we did a lot. I know everybody's tired. It was a long day yesterday. I'm trying to go to bed. Y'all are trying to go to bed. But if you get a chance, like on your spare time, pick up a study Bible and just read read one chapter in Mark and like read the notes and read what other commentaries say, because this is this is real basic stuff. But you can always go deeper. Amen. Amen. So, Lord, 